All right. So hi, everybody. This is Charlie. Uh, this is the podcast To Hell and Back. Uh, it's a podcast about bringing skills and strategies and principles to work on the adversities of life uh, as mostly adapted from dialectical behavior therapy, DBT. And it is, I think, January 28th. It's 6 o'clock p.m. East Coast Standard Time in the United States. And, um, you know, I haven't done one of these for a while, uh, very much. I mean, I did one not very long ago, and it was kind of a mixed one that included a lot of people from Italy and some interpreting. But this is going to be straight American. Uh, anyone can listen from the world. But, uh, but it's, it's a little easier for me in a way because I don't have to interrupt and be interpreted over and over. But um, why haven't I been doing these for the last uh, nine months, sort of since the pandemic began? Not only was I helping one of my sons with his homework for college a lot, like a lot, a lot, like I deserve half of the grades he got. Um, but also, uh, I've found the pandemic, among other effects, has uh, reduced my time uh, that I have available. It has uh, created a kind of suffocating environment compared to usual. I've had a little bit less energy and, and, um, and definitely less creativity. I don't know how many people have noticed that themselves, but my podcasts are like one edge of my life, one edge of my work life that actually requires, of, requires for a given podcast hours of consideration, hours of contemplation, hours of thinking about stuff, sometimes writing stuff down and occasionally researching things, but usually more generating things out of my experience and my head. And, and that just, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I depend on the hours so I just haven't been able to do them. So now, not that anything's hugely different, except that actually this, the semester of college finished in the middle of December and it's only just beginning this week. So I had some extra time. And during that extra time, I started thinking about the stuff I wanted to talk about with you guys. Uh, so that's, that's what gives rise to this. And I'm setting up uh, two more after this one, and then hopefully some more after that. But that's going to, I'm back in college now. I'm, I'm actually studying this, this semester, just so you know, the, the breadth of my knowledge now is expanding in the direction of macroeconomics, um, business management, um, business law, and I forget some other course. Um, but you know, so my mind is on those things. It's a little hard. It's going to be a little harder to generate podcast ideas, but I'm going to work at it. So anyway, what am I talking about today? Let me start with a little story. This will be the most boring story you've ever heard. So you might have to kind of like refresh yourself in the middle. Yesterday, I got up in the morning at my house. Usually during the pandemic, I've gotten in a pattern of I get up. I get, you know, I get, I brush my teeth, I get dressed, I go to the kitchen, I make coffee, I make breakfast, I put the dogs out, I hang out a little bit, and then I go to work, you know, upstairs where I am right now, you know, with the computer, and I, I'm eat, and mostly it's uh, meetings online like this. And um, 
but I wanted to get to my office in town yesterday and I haven't done that for a long time. I had to pick up a couple things and I just thought, well, I'll stay there and do some work there instead of here. So I did, I, and, I, and, and so the saga begins. I get up, uh, I think of, well, I need to figure out what am I taking with me? Well, what am I doing today? So I had to tax my brain about making sure I didn't leave things behind. Then I eat, but then I think, but maybe I wanna pick up something on the way. So then I think, well, this is a different kind of day. Um, and so I decide I'll pick up coffee on the way. Then I drive and I'd see, and as I drive into town, which for me is about a 15 minute commute, um, I'm seeing the snow in the trees in Northampton, Massachusetts, where I live. And I'm seeing the people walking on the sidewalk. I'm seeing the fact that the college there still doesn't have any students, but some people are poking around at the Smith College. Um, I see the streets again. I see this, the red lights. I stop. I look around. I remember what it's like to drive into town. I notice people wearing masks pretty much nearly 100%. I drive into town. I park the car. And I walk over and then I decide, oh, I think I'll go pick up some coffee at my favorite coffee place. I do that. I go by, I, I, I decide, oh, I think I'll pick up a sandwich for lunch because I'm going to be in the office during lunch. So I stop somewhere and I, I go, I put my, I double mask, which is what I do now when I go out. And, and I go in and I get a sandwich and I come out and I go up to my office. I do my work in my office. I say, oh my God, look at my office. I have a pretty decent office. It actually is kind of cluttered, but it's like really um, lots of space. And I go through that and then I come home. Um, what I noticed, that's all the boring part. You know, what wasn't boring to me was that I felt like I woke up my brain. I felt like I refreshed myself. I felt like I saw things like uh, that I don't usually recently see, but that I see it's sort of like visiting somewhere you've been in the past. And, and as I go through each of those things, I realized every one of these things grabbed my attention. Everything I looked at, all of the mundane things I just mentioned, were on my mind as I went. And as mundane as that was, and as mundane as that sounds, it's just brilliant and it has within it, the experiences that I had, had within them, lots of solutions to the pandemic, to certain aspects of the pandemic that I wanna talk about. Um, because when I looked back on it, I realized, yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all about establishing a sense of direction in the middle of no direction. It's all about having a purpose in the middle of aimlessness. It's all about uh, having a place to go, a thing to do, something that creates meaning in your life, even if the meaning is created because you stop at a red light and you look around you. And you go to, and you park your car and you have meaning because you're parking your car and you have to figure out where's there a parking space and how do I pay for this? And, and who, who else is parking here? Why did I never see this car before? Everything is like registering in the brain. And that's brilliant. It just happens. It happens. What would I have been doing otherwise? I'd be going to the same room down the hall from my bathroom to go in and look at the computer that I'm looking at right now. And I would be sitting there with the same things around me and, uh, you know, not very much activity, uh, physical activity, and, uh, and doing a lot of the same things as before and walking the same small area as always. In other words, what people might say, oh, it's the same old, same old. Um, and 
not that that isn't a place where you can, and, and as I'll get into, you can apply every solution to the pandemic suffering right in your hallway, right in your room, right in your kitchen. I mean, so it doesn't require going anywhere, but somehow this trip really triggered me. Yes, there's something in this particular thing I did that has within it everything we need to do to cope with what has blanketed the world. The world has been blanketed with illness and fear and anger and sadness and grief and loss and confinement and in a way some kind of uh, compared to usual suffocation of activity and disruption of normal activity and complete disruption of balance as if this is a vestibular disorder. I mean, where your balance is thrown off, your sleep balance, your eating balance, your exercise balance, your travel balance, your social balance, everything. So we're all coping with that. Now, let me say the solutions I'm gonna talk about to the pandemic are not the solutions for if you've lost your housing, which is terrible, and you don't have enough food to eat or to give your children, which is a disaster, or you are overwhelmed with taking care of the needs of many children at your house or even one child, which can feel like many children when they're not going to school. Um, and people who have lost their jobs and people who have run out of money and all of these real life terrible things that have happened as a result of this pandemic, not that they don't already exist and also the exacerbation of discrimination and, and the inequalities in the world, which are ever, ever more obvious. So it's kind of like, yeah, these are not the solutions to that, though they can contribute. So what are these the solutions to? What I wanna talk about is the solution to these other things I was saying. What I might say is the baseline of living in a pandemic, the baseline of what has happened to your daily life, or what has happened to our daily lives, what has happened to the daily lives of my friends in Sweden and Italy and every country in the world or I was on an international meeting the other day and we were comparing notes from the Netherlands and Brazil and Portugal and Spain and, every, and Italy and everywhere and everybody, this is a clearly a worldwide thing. And what one person says in one country, you can hear in another country say, yep, that's what I'm going through. It's a different version of how the country is coping with it. But yeah, we're all going through this. So I just wanted to dig into DBT. Why did I want to dig into DBT for solutions? Most of you who would listen to this podcast would know. In case you don't, or in case you just want to think about that, DBT came about to help people who are suffering chronic and severe emotional dysregulation of one kind or another, and whose lives have been controlled by that, or ruined by that, or destroyed by that. And so it is a package DBT you might think of as just a gigantic package of skills, of strategies, of principles, of protocols, of ways of doing things to help ameliorate suffering and to help build a life or to maintain a life that you've already built. I mean, DBT is an answer to adversity and the dysregulation in your life that comes with adversity. And so it is a perfect uh, place to dig from if you're saying, how should I cope with this? How should I help other people cope with this? How should my family cope with this? So, so that's what I wanna talk about. 
I'm talking about it now. I, I called this podcast Seven and a Half DBT Solutions to Pandem Pandemic Suffering. Why seven and a half? It's sort of ridiculous to tell you the truth. It's just, uh, it's just mathematics because actually I have 15 solutions and, I have, and I've decided to stretch it over two weeks because I can't do them all in one week. So actually it's seven and a half and seven and a half. Um, but actually it could be six and eight or six and nine or what. I mean, I don't know how many I'll get through today, but that's the idea is to get into these solutions. Now, where do these solutions come from? The reason it's 15 is there's three packages of five solutions. There's a package of solutions that are essentially involved. How do you change your behavior? There's another package of solutions of five of how do you accept reality when reality is hard to accept? And there's a third package of how do you maintain your balance and maintain your capacity to create and improvise in a context where there's a lot of tension and disagreement and conflict. And so it's really, in, in, it, 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 it's a direct mm, tributary, uh, what do you call it? Descendant of the book that I wrote a few years ago called DBT Principles in Action, uh, Acceptance, Change and Dialectics, because those are the three paradigms that underlie DBT how to change yourself and your life and the people around you and your emotions, how to accept reality in yourself and people around you and the world, and how, and, and how to use dialectical thinking and dialectical actions in order to live with tensions and oppositions and conflict uh, creatively and productively. So that's really where it comes from. And why are there 15? Because that's how I broke it down. I mean, nobody else, and would know there's 15 of anything. There's actually in DBT over a hundred skills and every one of them could be employed during the pandemic. So this could be a uh, hundred plus things, but I just wasn't gonna cover them at that level of detail. And there's other people actually who've put things out on the internet during the pandemic about how to use this, that, how to use mindfulness in this way, how to use distress tolerance in that way, all kinds of skills. So this is not a skills teaching thing because these are five larger chunks of what DBT and they have skills within them, but they're sort of like mm, large, broad solutions for you to listen to this and see if any of them might be things you can borrow from and apply to your own life in your own way. Okay. So let me tell you the first package of five. And the thing about this, I could tell you the five in any order, and, but I want, I'm, they have a certain order that I think of them and they all interrelate. They're all interdependent. They're all sort of like a little orchestra of five things to do in relation to each other to help move you forward in your life, to help you get what you want, to help you move in the direction you want to move in. So the first skill, the first solution you might say is that, uh, and all of these apply to DBT as a whole, is you know, it's the incredible value of something that's very obvious, but it's incredible value of establishing a sense of direction, of establishing a destination, as designating direction, designating destination having something you're going towards, 
going from A to B, however you want to talk about it, there is the incredible value. And it's not just a value of getting you where you want to go towards your larger goals. It's also an emotion regulation technique is you find if you don't have somewhere you're going, if you're not striking into the wilderness to get to point B from point A, you're not trying to get anything done, even if it's a small thing, it's the next five minutes, that you can sort of dissemble into a state of feeling like life has no purpose, life has no point, and especially if there's so many factors around you that are pulling for you to feel vulnerable and sad and anxious and pointless and like, where am I going with my life and where is the world going and will I survive this? All of those things sort of take over if you don't have a sense of direction. If you know what you're doing and you're trying to do it, whether you make it or not, whether you do it well or not, just having direction is an incredibly smart thing to do. So let's say you, are, when you don't have direction, you know, there's times I, I go through times where I absolutely have lost my way as if I was in a boat in the middle of the ocean and I've forgotten which way I'm going to get to shore. It's like, oh my God, what am I doing out here? And there is, and I did a couple of podcasts last year, I think called, you know, what's the point where you lose the point of life, you lose the point of living. And you know what, if you can establish direction of something you're going to do for the next hour, you have direction for the next hour. And that could get you to then have more direction after that. But if you sit here wondering, oh my God, now what, now what, now what? And you kind of give in to anxiety and depression and a kind of um, inertia, you kind of sink. Whereas if you say, you know what I'm gonna to do today? I'm actually gonna try for the first time ever to bake bread because everyone says they've been baking bread during the pandemic and that's a good idea to do. So I'm gonna try it. Or you know what I'm gonna to do today? I've been saying for weeks that I'm gonna go out walking in my neighborhood but I never get around to it. So today I'm gonna to take a walk. You know what I'm gonna to do today? I'm gonna to drive into town. I'm gonna to drive somewhere I've never driven before. You know what I'm gonna to do today? I'm gonna to reorganize that closet I have that I have just been sick of, but I just can never get myself to do it. And so now I'm gonna get myself to do it. Any of these things, I'm not talking about running a marathon and I'm not talking about writing a novel. I'm talking about having something in front of you that you're moving towards and the emotion regulation potential when you do that. The way that that sort of like moves, you know, that, you know the, the, the way that, you know, <laughs> there's movies about people crossing through the ocean and the ocean parts as you move through it. It's sort of like you're trying to make your way through anxiety and pointlessness and purposelessness and sadness and grief that's catching up with you and previous traumas that you're remembering. And they're, they're all, you know, they're, they're all like waves in front of you. And then you say, you know what, I'm going to go over there. And while I go over there, that's what I'm going to be trying to do. And actually, it's not going to make these other feelings and experiences go away, but it's going to part the way a little bit. And it's going to put them on the sidelines because in the front foreground is I'm going to bake bread or I'm going to clean up my basement or whatever it is, or, or these days, I mean, who knows if by the end of 2022, 2021, we're gonna be able to go places on a vacation, 
you know, maybe you can sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to spend one hour exploring ideas about planning a vacation. That would be cool. That's a thing to do. If you can do that without making yourself too sad that you haven't been able to do that for a long time. So it's kind of like having a sense of direction is a really valuable thing. Now it's a little, I, I, I get a little wary of saying this because it seems so obvious and so trite that it reminds me of the plaques in the kitchen where I grew up, where my mother was the kind of person who not only was she quite religious, um, she also believed in all these sayings. So, you know, a stitch in time saves nine was in our kitchen. Um, there was another one, the hurrieder, the hurrieder I go, the behinder I get. Um, what else? God helps those who help themselves. There were all these things that actually come down to, uh, in nice language, you know, get your goddamn act together and get moving forward um, and take care of it now. And it turns out now, this is what I hear myself saying. I think, oh no, I've, I've now devolved into where I'm just sounding like the tritest version of my mother, but I actually believe these things by now, by this age and after a lot of experiences and even during this pandemic is that if I can get myself during a day to have a sense of direction and maybe there's three things I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do maybe do some of my work and then maybe I'm gonna do something else and I'm gonna do something else. And if with those things, and I'll talk about these other four accompanying factors that go along with establishing direction, but you sometimes have to really pick a direction that's realistic for you. Like you say, gee, I haven't exercised for a long time. I'm gonna go out and take an, a one hour walk. But you haven't walked for 10 minutes for a long time. But you think I should walk for an hour because I haven't been getting any exercise. And then you go out there and, you, and it's really hard, maybe by the end you're sore or whatever it is. And then you don't do it again for three weeks because it was not easy. So you'd be better off if you could pick a direction, pick a destination that actually is reachable within a reasonable level of energy and you're just gonna do it and be done with it. So you go out on a 15 minute walk, you go out seven and a half minutes, there you go. And then you come back seven and a half minutes. Um, and you've now gone on a walk. And while you were there, here's the thing about it. You're, you've tried to be completely there. You've been really there on the, on the walk. And we'll get back to that. But so the first thing is establishing a sense of direction. Now, in, if you're a practitioner in DBT, of course, what that's all about, and it's where DBT in some ways begins, is establishing what are the specific behavioral targets of the treatment, because if you don't have them, you kind of drift and you kind of get just move around between different emotionally laden topics and very interesting things. But DBT is based on the idea that actually you're going somewhere, you have a destination. And so this is the equivalent of that in life during a difficult time. Um, and for some people, all times are difficult, um, but this is especially a difficult time around the world. So establish a sense of direction, weigh that, is it realistic? Is it compelling in the sense that it actually lines up with what your goals are and what you think is good for your life? Uh, and, and it's in line with your values. Um, is it something, like I said, that's realistic? And is it something that you've named specifically enough that you actually can aim for it rather than just kind of like approximately aim for it? If you know where you're going, uh, 
then you're, you're going to have all kinds of experiences on the way uh, that you don't, you don't even have to think as much about because you know where you're going. So uh, it, it, it creates a whole program on the way to the destination. The second quality of the five solutions or the second solution of the five change-oriented solutions, I would say is generating force. So you may have an idea about the direction you want to go in, and that's a really good idea. And then you might say, you know, I'm going to do that. And next thing you know, an hour later, you find yourself saying, you know what, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Or I just don't, I'm not up for it today. Or I've got several other things going, so I can't do it. Or, you know, maybe that's not a good choice to begin with. Or, you know what, that's so trivial. It doesn't matter if I do it or not. I'm just making, in other words, there are a million ways Mama. to not do it. There's a million ways to avoid and to not approach the direction that you've thought about. So then you have to address the problem that you don't have much force. And in DBT terms, for DBT therapy, that's where commitment comes in. You don't have sufficient commitment. So you can work all you want to get somebody to give up suicidal behavior or give up substance use or give up something else or add in something else that's good. Um, but if there isn't sufficient commitment, you know, it's going to be very frustrating. So you have to treat yourself the same way. Like I'm going to have this direction. I'm going to clean out my garage. But actually, do I really want to clean out my garage? No, not really. But I want to get it done. So that's my direction. Somehow you have to call on the DBT skill of willingness to lean into it and say, you know what, I'm just going to do this. These are the cards I've been dealt. I'm in a pandemic. I live in my house all the time. My garage is a mess and I want it to be neat. It'll just make me happier to do that. I'm not going to like the process that much, but you know what, I'm just going to lean into it and I'm just going to designate a time and I'm just going to do it. So that's, that's, that's the generating force or generating commitment. And I want to say several things about generating commitment or force because they, they really are laid out. Lots of ways to do that are laid out in DBT in, um, under what's called the commitment strategies. So those of you who know them, know them. Those of you don't, <laughs> don't. And so, but I'm going to draw from them because this isn't the usual way of using the commitment strategies. It's like getting yourself committed. It's trying to reinforce and strengthen and heighten your own commitment to something that is as simple as baking bread or cleaning your garage or taking a drive or taking a walk or doing reaching out to someone you haven't spoken to for a long time, but you want to do that. Okay. So how do you generate commitment? How do you generate force? First of all, okay. Number one, you get really clear about what it is, of course. And the more clear you are, that's already a good strategy for generating more force. If you just sort of say, well, I'm going to sort of do such and such, you're probably less likely to do it than if you say, you know, I'm going to do exactly such and such and no more and no less. I'm going to, I'm going to get that done. And I'm going to try to get it done today or tomorrow or on the weekend. And then uh, not, I'm going to try to get it done. Actually, that's another strategy itself. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. By the way, another strategy that isn't listed in DBT as a commitment strategy, but it's a very big deal, I think, is to go public, to tell somebody else, if you have other people in your life, tell somebody, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do such and such. That already, in research on this topic, increases the likelihood that you'll do it. 
you've told someone else. So it's a little bit harder to go back on it when you are having your typical ambivalence about it. So what's the, so what are the formal commitment strategies? One is to do is to weigh the advantages and disadvantages of doing it. So that's just called the pros and cons of commitment. Like, why will I do this? Why do I want to clean up my garage? And you can just think about it or you could make a list. And why do I not want to clean up my garage? You know, and if I don't clean out my garage, what are the advantages of that? Well, the advantages are I don't have to clean my garage. I, I, I'll be doing something else that's more fun or more leisurely. Um, what are the disadvantages of not cleaning my garage? It's going to stay the way it is. And so if you do those, you might move yourself forward towards saying, you know, I can see I don't really, it's not going to be all that fun, but actually if I just get into it, uh, I'll get it done and I'll be happier afterwards. It kind of like put an emphasis on long-term satisfaction with the direction you're going. What's another one? Another one is um, to do one of two things. This has to do with like, what scope are you committing to? So in DBT, there's the term, uh, one's called door in the face and the other's called foot in the door. And I don't wanna explain those exactly, but they, they, make, they are things that all of us do sometimes. So door in the face just means you just make a major league commitment. I am gonna do that and I'm gonna do it well and I'm gonna go all out and I'm gonna devote two hours to it when I know I could probably get a reasonable job done in an hour and a half, but I'm, gonna, I'm really gonna do this. And I, I'm gonna have a big audacious goal. I'm gonna do this. And you might end up doing less, but there's something to be said for saying, I'm going to do this, um, or I'm going to do this now, and I'm going to do it for 30 days. I'm going to do a sprint of doing mindfulness practice every day for 30 days. And there's something about committing to 30 days that makes each day a little easier because you've made a big commitment. On the other hand, that could turn you off. So the other end of that spectrum is you make a commitment to a baby step. It's sort of like, I'm gonna take this a baby step at a time. I'm gonna to totally commit to cleaning out that one corner of my garage. One corner, that, that corner that isn't too bad. I'm gonna to today, I'm gonna to take half an hour. I'm gonna make a nice job of that shelf in the garage, but I'm gonna leave the rest of it behind. I'm just gonna do that. And then when that's done, you know, you sort of think, huh, well, maybe tomorrow I could do that shelf over there or do that area. And you kind of take and you lean into each one with full 100% commitment. That's one of the strategies of getting things done is that you pick a direction. It might not be something you love doing, but it's something you've decided you're going to do. You're ambivalent about it. But now you decide, you know what, if I'm going to get it done, I should go all in. So it's going all in, whether it's a baby step or whether it's going all in by committing yourself to a big deal of which there are a lot of baby steps. So these, and you can go back and forth between these and see what works for you. Another strategy, another commitment strategy is really to um, remind yourself of what you've done that's been difficult before. And you're saying, I don't really feel like doing this. And then, you're, then you go back and think, you know, let me think of other things that have been like this that I've done before and probably you felt pretty good when you got them done, but you didn't like doing them, but you might be able to draw from previous commitments that have been successful to drag it to this one. 
and just go all in. So now you've got a direction and you've tried to go all in with this. What's another strategy? Another strategy is to be patting yourself on the back. And in, the, in DBT commitment strategies, this is borrowed from the one called shaping, which is to reinforce your patient for making any moves in the direction of making a commitment, even if they aren't making the big commitment. It's doing that for yourself. It's like saying, you know, I, I'm gonna bake bread, but I, it's kind of daunting. I'm not sure I'm gonna succeed at this. I've never been very good at stuff in the kitchen, but it would be really cool to have a loaf of bread that I made myself. So I'm gonna do that. But then you start to face it and you think, oh my God, this is a big challenge. So you decide to do it in baby steps. And so what's the first baby step is you look up a menu and you decide on a menu and you write down on your counter the ingredients that you need. And maybe you even get the ingredients out, even though you're not going to do it today. All you're doing is the step of getting the ingredients out and the recipe out. And then you're leaving it behind. And then you say to yourself, all right, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it one step at a time. I'm doing it. And you give yourself a little back pat on the back, a little bit of credit a little reinforcement because it's very hard to move forward in life without having some kind of internal or external reinforcement. So you're generating your own reinforcement there. Okay. The last one I want to mention is really important is to maintain your, especially when it's something that's hard to do or you're not sure you want to do or you're ambivalent about doing, but you think it's a good idea is you have to do this out of a spirit of freedom that even if you make yourself do it and it feels like you are locked in and you've been locked in by your more uh, diligent self and now you're stuck with that, you're like imprisoned in having to do something. It's very important to keep remembering, you know, I, this is, I'm doing this totally of my own free will. I'm doing this of my choice because if you're not, you're just, it gives a lot more fuel to, to your um, willfulness, a lot more fuel to the opposition and it makes it harder to do. So you have to keep in mind, you know, this is, this isn't, I don't like this step of this cleaning up my garage. So I'm gonna do it one baby step at a time. And when I do it, and, but then I'm gonna remember why I'm doing it. And I'm gonna try to keep that up and get it on a schedule, but I'm gonna do it because actually it's my garage. I'm gonna do it because it's my satisfaction I'm pursuing. I'm not doing this because of a goody two-shoes that thinks I should do it. If that's why you're doing it, maybe it's better to just keep a messy garage. But the idea is to, you generate stronger commitment out of freedom, out of reinforcement, out of doing pros and cons of the commitment, you know, out of remembering that you can do it and encouraging yourself, out of making a public commitment to somebody else. And if possible, locking up with other people and doing something together that keeps reinforcing you because you're all doing it together and you keep each other on track. Like doing homework together is better for some people than doing homework by themselves. So now you've done what in the change-oriented solutions? Establish a direction skillfully, wisely, picking a good direction, whatever it is. And like I said, I'm talking about baby, baby direction sometimes or big things. You're going to learn a new musical instrument or a language. Those are like running a marathon. But this could just be, you can break them down a step at a time and do what I'm talking about. But now you've got that and then generating force. Those are two. What, now what, <clears throat> what happens? Let's say you've picked a direction, you've generated force, you've got commitment and you're starting to do something. 
Where does it fall apart next? It falls apart because you don't persevere. You've got it going and then you you're think, wow, I've got it going. And then you notice three weeks later, oh, I sort of dropped that project. Oops, I did clean out that little part of the garage. Oops, I did start to learn that language a little bit, but I got, it's so difficult that I just haven't done it again. Um, and you don't really fully take into account that you stopped. You don't take full ownership for stopping. You still think you're doing it, but you're actually not doing it. And so perseverance does not happen automatically. Just because you get a ball rolling does not mean that it keeps rolling because it runs into all kinds of resistance. So you have to attend to perseverance. How do you attend to perseverance generally and specifically? First of all, you have to create conditions that make it easier to persevere. Let's say you're trying to get yourself to practice mindfulness practices, even if it's three minutes a day um, in your house, in your apartment, and you just find that you're always fading out. You get a good start, then you stop. You get a good start, and then you stop. So how do you generate perseverance? So you try to create conditions that make it optimal for doing that. So in that, you might have to plan for perseverance by saying, where in my house am I going to do this that really is quiet, it's good, and it, and, it, and it really can work there, and I won't be interrupted, and it's pleasant, maybe. Second, what time of day should I do it that I won't be interrupted by other people in my life, in my house or in my life? Where can I do this where I can just count on that? So you're really thinking ahead of that. Third, where can I do this or how can I do this where I am surrounding myself by some sort of positive images of meditating or of just sort of like pleasant things around me? So it's you're not putting yourself in a dark, dingy basement with nothing nice around you, but actually you're you're making it nice for yourself. And you wear clothing. Sometimes I've found that I start meditating and then I realize, you know, I feel cold and I didn't attend to that, you know, and then I stop, you know, because I'm getting cold. So I need to wear warm clothing, um, maybe two layers at some times or three layers. And so that I really feel, you know, comfortable and reasonably cozy. And then I can sit for a while and, and meditate. So it's kind of like attending to the conditions of what you're doing over time help to persevere. What else helps you persevere? Keeping track, monitoring. Um, when I work with patients in DBT, and every week when we meet, we review a diary card, a self-report form about behaviors during the week that people often don't like to do. I like to use that moment as a moment of reinforcing the person, a moment of positivity, a moment of being pleased with them for persevering, even if it's hard, for doing it again, even if they didn't do it totally completely. It's a chance to reinforce people for perseverance because you do it every week and it just goes on and on. And it's hard to, it's hard to persevere if you don't get reinforcement. So getting reinforcement from others because you have joined with others, you've made it public what you're doing, and you might even be coordinating what you're doing with what other people are doing. And so you're kind of part of a group movement that sometimes really pulls you along. But also putting stars on a calendar for the days you do something you're doing, or just some other physical way of keeping track. Having an accountability partner, somebody that you tell what you're doing. 
I mean, I have certain patients that I work with over the years where it's very hard for them to do certain things. And then we create me as an accountability partner. So they text me when they've done X, Y, or Z, whatever it is they're going to do. And just as a way for them to know that I know now that they've done it. And then when we meet, we talk more about it. How did it go? And I thank them for sending me texts about what they're doing so I can keep up with it. And so, and I can reinforce it. So getting reinforcement from outside, getting reinforcement from inside, having a convenient way to do it, keeping track, having an accountability partner, uh, and just realizing the, the, uh, the, that it is completely natural for good intentions to fade. They just fade. They just fade unless you have keep up with what you're doing somehow or other. When I wrote the book that I wrote, it took me three and a half years. And uh, I didn't know it would take that long. Um, but I knew it would be hard for me with, if I didn't have external reinforcement. So I made a deal with the editor that was going to work on my book at Guilford Press. Um, and uh, the, the deal I made, which she hadn't had with any previous authors, I said, you know, I, I, I need regular reinforcement to keep writing. Writing, I like writing and it's hard to keep going because I write and then I think what I've written is shit and then I, then I feel like stopping and, and I need to really keep. So um, we made an agreement that every week I would send her whatever pages I wrote that week and she would get those pages and she would review them and we would get on the phone every week for a, about a half hour and she would give me feedback most of which she would, she was really good at giving sort of reinforcing positive feedback and also then highlighting things she thought I could improve in what I had written. But the fact that I had that for three and a half years, almost every week uh, for half an hour, and that got me to continue to produce work, to get it out to her and then have, have feedback come back and then adjust it. And it just worked. It was like something I put in place that really sustained my perseverance, reinforced my perseverance. And it really is the reason I got, was able to get through writing that book. Um, those are three things. You get a direction, whatever it is you're doing, whether you're writing a book, or like I said, whether you're taking a bicycle ride, you're just doing that, whatever it is, and you got yourself going and you've generated some force or commitment to get started. And now you've tried to set up conditions that'll help attend to things that'll reinforce your perseverance. And now you're persevering. So now, isn't that enough? And the answer is no, rarely is that enough because there's a fourth thing. As soon as you have all three of those things going, what you find out pretty soon is you will encounter obstacles. You will run into barriers. There will be reasons internally and externally for you to stop what you're doing. So you have to figure out what to do about the obstacles. So how do you do that? How do you figure out? Well, in my own mind, and based on all my work in DBT, I sort of have a rough set of categories of obstacles. And the obstacles are, some of, some of them are the following. Obstacle number one, the direction I chose is not a good direction. It isn't specific enough. Uh, it actually is not aligned with my values or my goals. Uh, I chose it under some pressure from someone else or, and I agreed to something I actually don't want to do or something like that. So first of all, I re-examine the direction. If I'm running into trouble, am I really doing what I want to be doing? 
If not, I have to do something about that. Secondly, did I really establish enough force and commitment? Um, did I really decide I'm really going all in on this? Am I 100% in on this, even if I'm ambivalent about when I got started, but actually I've got to get yourself all in to do, your, to do good stuff or to do things well or to get the most out of it? Um, so that's the second thing. A third thing, do I have the resources that really make this possible? If I'm going to bake bread, for instance, um, but then I realize I don't have the right kind of flour or I don't have uh, any, uh, 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 there's certain other ingredients I want in the bread I'm not, and I'm not going to have them. Uh, I don't have good bread pans. So you really want to set yourself up with conditions and resources for what you're going to do, whatever it is. You have a bicycle, you want to go on a bicycle ride, you haven't looked at the bike for quite a while, and actually the bike tire is flat and you don't have a way to fix that. So suddenly that gets killed. That's it. So you really have to have resources. So it could be a resource problem. Next, it could be a thinking problem. You might not have the kind of thoughts that really go with succeeding in that direction. So you want to bake bread, but actually you start to get down to it and you start to have activated in your mind these memories of, I'm not very good at stuff like this. Anything I've ever tried to cook that's harder than a bowl of cereal has just not worked out for me. What do I think I'm doing trying to bake bread, which is really hard, people say is really hard to make your own yeasted bread. Um, what, who do I think I am? Um, my brother was a good bread baker. That doesn't mean I'll be, you know, and it's sort of, you can mobilize all these feelings of uh, you're not very good at it and therefore you, you've got to stop. Or, or you think this is a waste of time. Why did I decide to do this? I should be doing that. That's a thought problem. You start to get caught in your thoughts uh, and your thoughts kill the project. So it might be that the obstacles you encounter are actually the obstacles of your own perception and your own thinking. It could be that you're encountering obstacles of your own emotions, that when you approach doing something, you actually get frightened or you actually get more anxious than you might have thought you would or more grief stricken because you've never done it before and you start to regret things in your life and think back on things you haven't done it might set off all kinds of emotions. It might set off shame when you're gonna to try to do something and then you think, this is so stupid. It's such a small thing I'm talking about doing. I know people who are out there running half marathons and I'm gonna walk for 10 minutes. You know, and so you, you shame yourself. So emotions can stop you. So emotions, thoughts, resources, insufficient commitment, poor choice of direction. Those would be five things, for instance. There's other things too, like just recognizing the way that you process information. I mean, you may be trying to do something that requires being the kind of person whose brain is on track every day, on time to do stuff, but actually you don't have that kind of information processing system. You aren't that kind of person. You're a sporadic person doing things on schedule, on time, and not yet another thing when you're already burdened with that might just not be a very good understanding of who you are and how to fit your own information processing style, your own work style into what needs to get done. So there needs to be a, a sort of a problem solving 
doesn't mean you can't do it, but you have to figure out how to do it on your own terms in your own way and not by the way everybody else is doing it. So there's a number of things to do, but you do have to solve problems. And so I say sometimes that my first solution is direction, destination, direction. Second one is force or commitment. The third one is perseverance. The fourth one is intelligence, or and it's especially what I mean by that is being strategic. You know, being intelligently strategic, knowing that when you stop, you probably encountered an obstacle. It might be an invisible obstacle. It might be an interpersonal obstacle. Oh, I left out one factor that often kills things that's an obstacle, and that is you have insufficient reinforcement. So you're trying to do something, but you really don't have much reinforcement for it from someone else or other people. In fact, people may even be invalidating it. And you yourself might not be reinforcing it very well. So if so, you have to attend to reinforcement. You have to attend to thoughts. You have to attend to emotions. You have to attend to resources, attend to your particular way of processing information and attend to your level of commitment and whether you've established a good direction. I know that's a lot of burden especially if we're talking about a very small thing. But still, if you're stuck and you're not moving forward, uh, which is the whole point, the whole point is just actually to flow into a direction and get all the benefits that come to somebody who's having a direction. That's four out of five. What's the fifth one? The fifth one I'm gonna talk less about, but what it is, and it's sort of obvious when you think about the fourth one, is that in order to solve these obstacles, in order to stay on track, in order to do all the things I've talked about, requires certain skillfulness on your own part. You have to have the capacity to do some of these things. You have to have the skills to do some of these things. You have to have the know-how to look at your own thoughts and your own emotions and your own style and how to make things fit. So actually you need strategic knowledge or endowment you need skills, which you can learn, or maybe you've already got, or maybe you just need to strengthen what you've got. Um, so, and you need resources. So resources, skills, and strategies is what the way I think of that. And so you have to have those, you might say, tactical advantages in order to tackle the obstacles. So that's a five-part package uh, for solving things. And in this case, solving how to get yourself moving forward during the pandemic because if you do move forward, even, even in things that are just one-offs, just doing this with thing, one thing, um, it, it, are, it has salutary effects on your health, on your well-being, on your regulation of anxiety, your regulation of depression. Uh, and anxiety and depression have just sort of swollen during the pandemic. Um, next one. I see I'm going to get six in and then we're going to stop and I'll go on next week. Now we're into the second package. And the second package is the package not of how do you change your behavior and solve a problem and move in a certain direction. The second package has nothing to do with direction at all. There's no destination to the second package. Once again, it's a set of five solutions, you might say, that are all interwoven with each other. They all reinforce each other. They all move as a package. So I could teach them in any order. But the first one I like to think about at the core is being present. And that by now sounds more trite than my mother ever sounded talking about, you know, 
God helps those who help themselves. I mean, to be present now, everybody hears that, you know, 30 times a month, uh, somewhere or other um, thing, you know, to just be there. But it is unbelievably important and makes such a difference. If you are on your way somewhere, like I was into town, the story that I told you at the beginning of just driving into town for the day. But if I am present when I'm doing that, it's a way more rich journey. Like I see all these things. I make send, I get sensory impressions of all kinds. I notice things I haven't noticed for a while. My brain wakes up. I'm there. And if you're there, you're actually living it. And if you're living it, you're seeing it and you're hearing it and you're smelling it and you're touching it and it's all there. And therefore, that's another way in which anxieties and depressions and shame and anger are kind of coexisting with you as a person who is fully awake, even if for one minute, just taking in what's going on, the sunset in the morning, the sundown at night, the snow if you live in New England and other places, the sunshine or the, the beach if you're down somewhere else. So it's kind of like just being present and being present if you're with another person is a much more rich experience, even if sometimes challenging, than not being present than being half present, than being half asleep, than just being automatic, just living by habit and ritual. You know, you're actually there and you keep being there and you keep being there. And that is a way to enhance your experience in the moment. And those kinds of enhancements carry over has been my experience. If you do that for a little while at, during part of your day, it's what I call Pac-Man mindfulness. I taught once in a podcast about that Pac-Man mindfulness you're just doing a little bite of mindfulness, a bite of being present, a bite of noticing something. Doesn't mean meditating even. Just being fully present, noticing, taking an extra minute to just look at things. Take something in, take another person in without responding necessarily right away. It's kind of being present and how that changes the next half hour, the next hour of your life during which you might be determining a direction or trying to increase force of what you're doing or trying to strengthen perseverance with what you're doing, trying to identify obstacles that are getting in the way of you getting in some direction. All of these things are benefited if you're actually there and you're actually fully there as much as possible. And none of us is fully there all the time. And maybe we're fully there only a small amount of time, but even small gains really can make a difference in how you feel you are managing through the pandemic. You're kind of like going from oasis to oasis during this sort of um, pandemic suffocation of your life. Um, so it's just getting small bites, coming up for air, being present and doing things to try to change things in your life and do things that give you some direction. So that's really it, folks. Uh, what is it? It's, uh, it's four minutes. If, if, if this was the way I wish it were, you would all be right here and somebody would now raise a question and make a comment and we would have, but I wanna, I wanna say to you, and many have done this before and I continue to and just have enormous gratitude to people who do this, is that if you would write me email, say, here's what I got out of that or here's what I'd like to hear more of anything to respond. It just makes it a little more connected for me 
to know that there's people out there listening, most of whom are not even listening while I do this, because most people who listen to these download them later or go on my website later. So there's a couple people here today, I think. I don't know how many, maybe two or three only. But, um, but usually um, it ends up being one or 2,000 people will listen over the next couple of weeks or something. And so any, any uh, emails, my email address is C. You can either do it through my website. You can send a, letter, uh, a message or you can write me at c.robert, R-O-B-E-R-T dot Swenson, S-W-E-N-S-O-N at gmail.com. Just write me and tell me, yeah, I was listening to that and that struck me and that was helpful to me. Or, you know, I wish you would talk more about such and such. Um, yeah, and that'd be helpful. Last thing I'll say, just because there's one or two minutes left, is that if any of you listening are people who are DBT therapists and you're looking for um, experiences of training of any kind, uh, just to let you know, I don't usually do this or maybe I've done it once in a while, but I, I'm planning another round of training um, through Brooklyn, though it's done mostly online these days until the pandemic allows people to come to Brooklyn. So we don't do it over the, over, over the internet. Um, but a DBT intensive training, five days at a time, you take five days for part one, and then five, you come after a per period of time and homework assignments, you come back for part two, uh, and it's another five days. So we just finished one a couple months ago. I'm going to start a new one in July, five days in July, five days next January will be part two. And that January one, we're hoping by then that will be people will be able to come to Brooklyn and have it in person, though it'll still be possible for people who want to stay home and do it online. That's going to also be possible. So I just want to let you know about it. How would you find out about it? You'd go to my website, charlieswenson.com and uh, check it out and see how you would register for that or see if you have more questions. And if you have more questions about it, you can write me an email about that too. All right, everybody, have a good week. I hope there was something here that just touched on something that would be helpful for you, a good idea of some kind. Even that would be a great triumph from my point of view. So um, uh, have a good week, stay safe. And anyone who's listening who wants to listen, we'll be doing part two of this particular podcast uh, next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And then it'll be by that, by later that night, it'll, it, this also will be archived later tonight on my website so people can listen to it if they weren't here. Okay. Everybody take good care. If you're here now, thanks for coming by. <laughs> I'll see you all in the future. Bye-bye.